go. Couldn't hear it. It's like I got buttons pushed in all these weird places. Off. Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank at Sniper's Hide here. And we got another interview call with your call-in or interview show or however you want to word it. But I have Josh Coots on the Coots on the line from Patriot Valley. Josh, welcome to the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Uh good to talk to you on, on air. Uh you and I talk almost all the time, just not so much on the podcast. Yeah. Hey Frank, I really appreciate it. Um been a long time listener to this and you know we've been friends for a long time so it's it's really cool to get to be able to be a part of this thank you for having me great um give everybody a quick background um your gunsmith and how you kind of came up with patriot valley and the different things you're doing and then we want to kind of jump into some of the project stuff that you got going on and and something that that is is pretty important to me is is the solid bullet technology stuff you're you're looking at. But give everybody a, a little kind of few minute background to introduce Josh to everybody and and what Patriot Valley has going on and things like that. All right, um, certainly. So I uh, I've been a gunsmith, you know, I guess now for um, as a professional thing for going on six years um but you know it it was never like my endeavor to be a gunsmith you know i uh i went to college for engineering i went to grad school for engineering um i worked in aerospace for seven plus years i think um you know so i worked on some pretty cool things uh doing you know structures analysis and um safety flight work making sure that jets don't fall out of the sky Um, but you know, I grew up as a shooter and, um, never really had any money growing up. Didn't have any money in college at all. Got into race cars and, uh, and racing motorcycles. (laughs) No money, no uh, money job there, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. No money job. You know, like they say, like you can make a small fortune in racing. You just start with a large one. Yep. Um, you know, so I was borrowing favors from people for, you know, working on their race cars for free so that I could borrow the hauler and, you know, go off to a motorcycle race myself the next weekend kind of thing. Um, and it was just my, my body couldn't take it anymore. You know, you can only fall down and go pavement surfing at a hundred plus so many times before you got to like, you're either going to be screwed up permanently for it or you got to quit. So, you know, I quit, um, and, uh, started working full time as an engineer in aerospace. And, you know, some of it was really awesome and some of it was kind of, boring like it you know it, there's so much structure in that environment that uh being the new guy you, you know you don't really get to flex your muscles and, and you know mentally all the time and um you know I, I had some money i started shooting competitively and those of us that have been in this hobby we know what that means right it's basically like you take the guys out you let them shoot the long-range rifle a couple of times they shoot some golf balls at 700 yards and that's it. Like, that's like giving the junkie the crack pipe the first time. So, you know, that's kind of what happened to me. And, um, I didn't have the money to buy rifles, so I had to build them. I was, you know, making my way through engineering school as a machinist. And, uh, it, you know, spawned out of control from that, you know, it's like pretty soon it's, 
hey, you built yourself a gun. Could I come over and could you, you know, put a barrel on my rifle? Um, and, you know, I wake up a year later and all of a sudden it's like, well, I got two FFLs and three machines and I'm working a whole second job. So <laughs> right, know, might as well make a, it a primary a job, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, and then, uh, it's, you know, with my background in, in aerodynamics and aerospace work, um, a friend of mine and I from grad school started fiddling with bullets, you know, the, like the ballistic side of things, solving the first round hit solution. That question to us was like, that was the Holy grail. That's the Holy grail for a lot of shooters. Right. Um, and other dudes have, have worked really hard on software and stuff like that. But, um, the thing that we looked at was bullet technology by and large has not changed since the 1890s. Right. So here we are 120 years after the first, uh, copper jacketed lead bullets were swaged together in the, you know, the Spitzer revolution is what they refer to it as. That was like the seven millimeter Mausers in the 1894 or five kind of range, you know, like the Spanish American war. Sure. Teddy Roosevelt talks about coming up, um, you know, Hill, the, what was it? The yeah, San Juan Hill, the San Juan Hill. Thank you. And they're getting shot at and their 30, 40 crag rifles are ineffective. They don't have the range. They don't have the accuracy. And he's listening to bullets snap past them, clearly supersonic from seven millimeter Spanish Mausers. And it resonated with him. You know, we need better stuff. Right. So, but, you know, great. So that was, that's the 1890s. Forms have changed, but in general, stuff really has not taken a stellar leap forward like everything else has. You know, we don't ride on steam trains anymore. We fly in jet airplanes. Um, you know, we drive cars where the average speed on the highway is 80 plus miles an hour. In most cases, we're not driving around in, um, horse-drawn carriages. So, you know, that's kind of like the long spiel into how did we get into bullets? Um, we got into bullets between a friend of mine and I, we were in, uh, undergrad and grad school together and, uh, put our heads together and started thinking about, you know, what if we, worked on a CFD program, what if we tried to solve this problem that a lot of people have tried and, um, you know, people hadn't quite gotten there. And I think we, we did it. So um, that's where the solids, you know, came from. And in the meantime, I was still building rifles, uh, being an engineer and, and liking, you know, the, the making things, right? It was like uh, friends of mine, they call it tool makers disease or engineers disease. They look at something and go, Oh yeah, I can make that. I, I could do that and I could do that better. And this is how I would do it. You know, I've got a bad case of that. So, um, <laughs> and, and, and just to <laughs> kind know. of get into the, the bullet side, just to, you know, um, what people may not realize is, is, is y- you assisted and helped however you want to word it with like the Warner tools. So we, you and I started our discussion, I'm, excuse me, I'm like just eight a few minutes ago. Um, you got you and I started on our discussion. I'm getting that burpy thing going on. Um, discussions on bullet technology and solids in particular. When we were we were doing this stuff with Warner Tool, like I was shooting them for review. I was doing the 180, the 160, and the 122. 
Or they call it under yep. 121, 121, 122, whatever number you want to give it. So I'm shooting yep. those three bullets that you actually had a bit of a hand in. And, you know, Warner Warner's doing really well with them. They're in their lane and, 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 and no issues there whatsoever. People are, are actually being super successful with the big Warner offerings right now. You're seeing them command a lot of the, 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 the king of two miles that are running around. Um, yep. But, yeah, so that's where our first conversations came out of was the early Warner Tool days is kind of where I wanted to, get, like, let people know yeah. where your and I conversation came from. Yeah, so we, I mean, we started talking about gun stuff and arguing on your forum like everybody's supposed to on the Internet. That's what the Internet was created for, right, to argue on it? Yes, yes, we had a fight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Um but, the, you know, like, we started talking about guns and stuff 10, over 10 years ago, 11 years ago, something like that. So, um, you know, I've, I've known you for a long time, but, uh, I, you know, what I know about Frank, for those listening, is um, you always know where you stand with it. There's never the question of, he's never going to, like, feed you the line of bullshit. Oh, yeah, product's great. Uh, you know, hand me the check now. You know, it was like if I knew if I sent you a turd, you were going to tell me it's a turd and it smelled real bad, and don't tell me, don't send another one until it doesn't smell bad anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so you know, with Warner's, they, you know, they're making these great bullets, um, and we did a lot of design work. So I did all of the design work and and development for the aerodynamics and stuff like that, and they handled the manufacturing side. And we had an exclusive agreement for about five years. And, um, you know, and the term's up, so it's it's a non-exclusive now. And what we've sort of settled into, it's not official, or, you know, not like you can't do this and I can't do that kind of thing. But what we've sort of settled into is they know where their ability to be competitive price-wise is. And um, that's the big stuff, 375s, 338s, 416s, 408s. Um, you know, we've been talking a little bit about doing a 50. And what folks have always complained about, and it's true, solids are expensive. There's a very expensive piece of copper at the heart of every single solid, um, significantly more so than a jacketed bullet. So the, the cost to manufacture and the time, the machine time involved in making the smaller stuff was what really was prohibitive with the smaller flat lines. And so I'm you know, I'm doing more of those now, the 30s. I actually just finished running some 198s and some other 122s and 6.5 today. Um, but I have in-house equipment to do the smaller stuff. We could still do big things. I've made some 375s for, you know, um, the folks over at Prime. But uh, that's, you know, that's kind of the work split that we've sort of, you know, right, not right. officially settled on. But, you know, that's kind of like where we're at. And what what I'm trying to do there is bring the designs, not only the stuff that flat lines are, are known to be right. Ultra high BC, not necessarily radical twist rates, but they could be some of them like the 198, um, the 400, 375. Some of those needs faster than normal twists. But we're, what I'm trying to do is we'll take, we'll take the formula one cars. And I also want to put like the a one GP cars, right? Like, they're, they're still super performance, um, but they're not so far strung out that everybody's barrel won't shoot them. You know, you don't need a special barrel. You don't need a special throat. You don't need a slugged diameter bore. 
Um, they might not be quite as fast. They certainly don't have like, you know, they got like 95% of the BC or 98% of the BC, but we've traded some of that bleeding edge performance for forgivability at the loading bench and forgivability for factory ammo, right? You could, you really couldn't put a flat line into factory ammo before they were just way too hot. And, and, and that's the thing, like, and just to background, I want to kind of jump in here a second and just kind of give my history and stuff with solids because I've always been a solid fan. I've always said, where do we need to improve what we're doing? It's the bullet, the bullet, the bullet. The bullet is the weak link in ELR. The bullet is the weak link in, in a lot of what we do because, number one, it's mass-produced. Like you're saying, it's it's this whole uh, you know, lead and copper, dissimilar metals, twist rates and barrels, the interactions going on there. So in my mind, the bullet is the weak link. Uh, you, you're like heavy breathing on us, Josh. What's going on over there, dude? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I moved my microphone. Oh, yeah, you're all like heavy breathing, man. You were doing like some kind of like, yeah. you know, Trump, uh, Trump uh, prompt teleprompter thing. <laughs> um, yeah, just got, got me really excited. You started talking about bullets. Yeah, yeah. He's all like getting it. Got, I'm like, damn, Josh, are you are, are you listening to us with one hand? So anyway, <laughs> to to go back uh, again, to, to the the best solids that I've worked with, the 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 best designs in a lot of ways. Either number one, they're they're very particular on the rifle you're going to use it in. Like I use a lot of really great custom Bartland barrels. So I'm already at the top of the food chain on the barrel, you know, world. And then I have the game twists and a lot of these other things. So I'm playing games already with my barrels. But for a guy who has like a 12 twist, even an 11 twist, let's give him an 11 and a quarter, 308 or an eight twist, six, five. He's he's got what he's got. And then you say, okay, I got this solid that's really spectacular yeah, you want it to push it as hard and hot as you can, which means twist rates and powder behind it to yep. maximize this this experience. Well, what happens is it's either really particular in, in that guy's chamber and specs to reload it, so the factory gun or the middle-of-the-road gun that's out there, not, you know, the tricked-out custom, it's hard, right? It's hard to get a good load. Right. It's hard for this thing. But at the same time, like if if you had the means, if you took one of these hot rotted solids and you actually built a rifle around it, well, then it's going to be doing all these things that people want to see out of a solid. It's going to your range is going to go another thousand yards beyond. You're going to have a BC through the roof. You're going to be doing all these great things, but you had to build a gun around it. Well, absolutely. And that's exactly what I did with, with one of my 308s. I've got a 308 that's got an 85 twist, and I actually have a couple of them now because it was just like, you know, I had, a, I had to buy five barrels to get them made. So I, I only sold three of them. The other two are mine. But, I, you know, like it's a long action. It feeds out of 3006 magazines, it loads at 3.4 inches long. I'm shooting a 200 grain bullet with this massive caseload of 2000 MR over 2,800 feet per second from a 308. And I'm shooting a bullet that's got a G1, an average G1 that's like 
850. Right. You know, like these are insane numbers for a 308. My 308 at sea level, I live down, my, my home range is 900 feet above sea level. In the summertime, our DA is like 2,500 feet. I got 1,950 to 2,000 yards supersonic range on my 308. My, like people are like, oh, what would you build for a mile? I'm like, I'll just take my 308. Yeah. It, it, it is flatter and straighter at a mile than anything you've got inside a 33 caliber. But special barrel, special gun, special everything, and it shoots a dollar twenty per projectile. Right, and and so like to kind of fast forward a little bit, get past like my 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 trial and errors with a lot of other uh, solids and stuff. So then we're talking with Jim. We got Prime coming back up and around. They're bringing. They're making ammo. They got options now to do different things. And you and I both friends with Jim. Uh, do a lot of work yep. with him. We did some of the Peterson testing out here together. You were out here for that um, when he was yep. moving from Ruag to Peterson. We we did it here a little bit. Um, so the sitting down and talking about this, the the thing is, it's like somebody will say, "Well, if I'm gonna build a solid, it's like you're saying I'm gonna build an F1. I'm gonna build. Right. I'm gonna build the the F1 race car of solid." But you better have an F1 yep. crew to go with it. You better have the tires, the equipment that you need that, that can run an F1 yep. car, you know. And you better be willing to spend the money. The money. To get that car on the track. Well, instead, the conversation turned to, well, what if you didn't do this 100% improvement over a jacketed bullet? What if you only went, tw- and I'm using fake numbers, guys, so don't quote me on percentages. But what if you went, 25% better. Okay? Like, yeah. I, I know when, when like, Brian um, lits and stuff with some of the different bullets and, and they improved on some bullets that are out there, they crowed about a 7% improvement over a bullet. So it's like, dude, we yep. got a 7% improvement. 7%. This is outrageous. It's great. Oh, my God. We just improved this 175, 308, by 7%. Nobody's done that. Yeah. Well, what if you took the solid and improved that that 7% better bullet by now 25% more? We're, yep. like you're saying just a, in a few seconds ago, make it a little bit more forgiving to load. Make it a little bit better for factory twist straights. Make the solid... So, like, to find that balance of design and manufacture performance... So it'll work in a factory gun for the everyman. It'll be forgiving it enough to put it in a factory load and then spread it out to the masses and see what happens. And so that's kind of the direction you've been going and looking at right. your, your own personal sort of line of solids is by scaling back some of that F1 technology and then putting it into you know, the, 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 uh, uh, what's it like a Ford fusion? You know what I mean? So now the guy driving the Ford yeah. fusion can use this technology yeah. and he doesn't need the F one, you know? Yeah. Instead of driving a, you know, a few, it was funny you mentioned that. Cause that's actually the car that I have. Uh, and I have a bunch of friends that give me grief. They're like, Oh yeah, look, Josh, of all people, Josh is driving a hybrid. And I'm like, shut up. Gas money saved is more ammo budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, exa- you know that's exactly the point. It's like 
let's instead of saying, okay, I've got you shot the one eighty. 182s, I think, whatever they were. The 180s, the um, 160s, and I shot yep. the 122s. Okay, so, yeah. So the 180s, you know, they're they're like they're almost F1 cars. They're too long for a magazine. They don't need a standard twist rate, but they're kind of fussy to load for. So they're still they're still thoroughbred cars, right? They're meant to go fast and do one thing, which was get to the target as fast as you possibly can. Great. So now what are we going to do with that? Guys are looking at them like, they're too expensive for me to sit here and spend 100 bullets trying to figure out a load. I'm not going to put the time in for that. I want to be able to find something. Because, you know, in 25 or 50 rounds at most. To be honest, we're spoiled, right? Right. The other stuff that's out there, Burger, Hornady, Sierra, Lapua, the jacket of bullets... They, you know, they don't have the the bleeding edge BCs, but most of them are super forgiving, right? And and guys who've been reloading and shooting in this world for you know 15, 20 years, they remember back when Burger had those VLDs, and the Burger VLDs, man, when they were on, they were freaking brilliant. They were the hottest thing going. But if you were off by five thousandths of an inch on your load depth, it, it, you might as well just save your money. You just pay your money. Don't go to the match. Send in your late feet, leave, go home. Yeah. Because you're just throwing lead downrange. You're not hitting anything. Well, that's, and those and, are the guys we would switch over to a CNR. Go, hey, do a CNR to be more forgiving. You'll load it easier and you'll be done. Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, so in, instead, what, what we've done, <laughs> skeiners. Yeah. Skeiners. <laughs> um, I, I got, uh, a side note, I had a, a discussion with uh, the folks from NAMO one time, and I called it a CNAR, and I was corrected uh, very curtly. It's a scanner. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm making okay, – well, you know what? Excuse me. <laughs> I, 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 I love the fact I, I, like, say coffee messed up. I say idea with an R. I say, and people correct me all the time, and it's like, screw you. I don't care. They're like Lapua, Loopy, Sako, or Seiko, or, and I'll say all those wrong, and I'll do it on purpose just because I think it's funny. <laughs> It, it, right. and, watch, and watch people, you know, like their skin crawl when you yes, do it wrong. Yes, Leopold, Leopold, yeah. Leopold. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah everybody freaks out. I, I even They even come on my YouTube channel and correct me on YouTube. And it's like, dude, I say a bunch of crap. I got an accent. Bite me. But anyway, right. yes. And, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and this is the point, And this is going to kind of get us into barrel tech when we kind of go into barrel tech. Because it's the barrel, it's the twist rate. I mean, we were even looking at with the 122s, almost like a geometry thing inside because people were having that, gee, they don't work in my Savage. You know, gee, they don't work in this. I bought them because right. I thought, and, and guys were seeing some minor geometry issues like, yeah, dude, you just got the wrong barrel. So that's still a a deal with it. But at the same time, the gains a solid will give you are so above and beyond the jacketed bullet. It solves so many problems if you can get it right. But like you said, right. that this yep. this obstacle to um, acceptance is not only the money. It's a little bit of the technology, like we're saying, where they want to go too many go too far with the tech instead of being in a middle ground. Yep. And then it's the reloading because you have to reload them and then it becomes how forgiving it is. So number one, you're going to spend a lot of money. Number two, you got to look at the technology, whether your rifle can accept it. 
And then number three, that reloading component, how forgiving or how versed you are at it. I, honestly, if people, I I thought I got the Warners up and running really fast for me. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not an anal retentive reloader. I'm, if people saw how I got the loads for that thing, they would have laughed their ass off. I was, I was almost the equivalent of basically, you know, pouring powder in a case until I, you know, saw until it kind of peaked near the top, and then I dumped it yeah. to the to to Kick the a little off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's like okay, I want to be about a quarter of an inch below the, you know, where the angle of the shoulder. I want to be right about right there, and that's kind of how I did it. But I mean, I had numbers, yeah. and I have, and even like even in my cheesiest little bullshit thing, I have little mini almost portable digital scales. I have like two of them. And so I was able to basically weigh everything individually, but I did it kind of really loosely. And it worked out sure. well because, like I said, I have premier barrels. The The, the difference right. between my methoding, what's going on with me, and some of the other guys out there that had a hard time was the barrel. And, and, yeah, and... and- Go ahead. And there's a lot to be said about a good barrel, right? There's some corners you can cut. You don't necessarily have to have the hottest action. You don't necessarily have to have the hottest chassis. It makes things like that better. But, you know, if you blow your whole budget on the doodads on the outside of the gun and then you go put the cheapest barrel on there because you want to save 250 bucks on the blank, like, well, yeah, don't complain when the gun doesn't even hold a minute, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or you're you're cheesing on the gunsmith who who's using the old lathes. And, and now, like, one guy, I kind of was goofing. One guy kind of had a brand-new gun, custom action, all this stuff. And he can't chamber his his ammo. And it's hitting, like, on a factory Hornaday, you can see the line on the on the ogive there. It, it's already touching, and it won't close the bolt. But then he has, like, a burger hand load. And you could see the ogive on that is back like a noticeable quarter of an inch amount, and it, yeah. it, you know that chambers. And it's like, dude, you got it. Your barrel's cut short, I'm sure. But I told him because he he said I don't know what he used, uh, probably some kind of cheap factory ammo of some way. But he said he broke the barrel in, and it was you know he broke in shoot one clean, then he shot three clean, then he shot five clean. And I said, well, that's why your shit don't work because you did that silly break in. Um, and you broke and you, and, and, you, and you broke your barrel, but you could see and the, the, the real answer was his chambers probably cut a tick short. And, and um, you know, so that's that's kind of that where we don't talk internal ballistics a lot. Those internal dimensions of that barrel is kind of where these solids are looking to perform. Right. Yep. And, you know, and like to, to give people an example, like a numbers example, the six and a half flat line that you shot has a Doppler measured average G7 of about 330, which is ridiculous, right? I mean, it's 121 or 123 grains, and it's got a BC that's like the 150 class bullets. But like some people found, it can be touchy. And. Um, it's right on the edge of stability in an eight twist. So if you don't run them at least 3000 feet per second, you're not going to get shitty groups. You're going to get a shotgun. Um, so, you know, so there were some of those problems. So what we did with what I did with a new bullet is 
I didn't abandon the flat line. You can still buy that bullet. No problem. I'd be happy to make it for people, but I've got 122 bullets, still the same weight class. It's still got the features that I got patents on, uh, to make them very forgiving in throats. And I modified where the pilot band is. I modified the nose. I made them less aggressive. And when you put them next to a conventional 140 grain jacketed bullet, you could see that there's some similar features. They're about the same size. They don't look quite as sleek as the old ones. And the BC is about 94% or so of what it used to be. That's still for 122 grain bullet. It's the highest BC bullet you're going to get unless you go to the Formula One car. But what it does give you is you load it into anything you want for a 6.5 Creedmoor. It feeds in the magazine. It shoots out of any eight twist. I've actually shot some of them out of about an eight and a quarter twist in cold weather. They're great. And right out of the box, three eighths MOA. The first day I went to the range was two days after Christmas. I did the same thing you did. I had my powder charger was still set for 130 grain loads. I threw that powder in. I seated the bullet. I didn't even change the seating depth from the 130 Sierras that I was shooting before. I took them to the range and shot them, and I shot a five-shot group that was 0.34 inches at 100 and a five-shot group at 700 yards that was three and a half inches. Yeah, yeah. Because three that's where you... up close and... Go ahead. And a half a minute downrange. And and that's where you're gaining, and that's what we're talking about with people, where you can take a hundred, and, and think about, go back in time with my conversations in these podcasts, talking about, well, maybe your barrel is shorter, and maybe you can't shoot 140 to that optimum. I mean, let's face it, if you're in that 136 to 143 class of bullet, optimal is like 2850. But yeah, right. are you gonna? Most guys are in the twenty-seven fifty, which yeah, they're getting good results. The bullets work good. The caliber is great. No, there's no drama. I'm not saying your stuff is bad. I'm just saying optimal. If you want to squeeze every ounce of of performance out, you want that one forty at about twenty-eight fifty. Well, yep. You take the 122 because your barrel's short. Say your 140s are only going like with some guys we see, like a 2685 to 2750. So say your gun's yep. doing a 140 there, and you think your gun's rock starring it, and you're seeing really good, in your eyes, great performance. Because you don't have a metric. Maybe you're shooting a PRS comp and you're doing well, but that's a whole nother game. You're not playing... You're not playing accuracy and ballistics there. You're playing positions. You know what I mean? Your gun is your gun. It's more about you more so than the gun, other than unless you got a 308 bit in, in a slow, it's still how fast it's going to leave the barrel, right? If, you, if you're getting right. the, 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 the caliber out quick, you're in good shape. Well, you can get it out quicker and better in a shorter length with a 122. You're going to bring your yep. speeds back up, and now, like you're saying, you got a BC that's the same as a 140, but you're shooting a 122. You got more speed and speed yeah. kills, speed wins every time. Okay. You're going to yep. have a, a matching BC and out of a shorter gun, it's still going to work the same. And, yeah. And so I'm, I'm running exactly that example. My hunting rifle that I run for Pennsylvania uh, six and a half Creed, 22 inches with a carbon barrel on it, one of Paradigm's barrels. 
the thing runs 140 box ammo in the low 27s, 2720, 2715, that kind of range, right? It runs times 130 right around 2820. It's kind of a slow barrel. With the 122s, I'm at 3030 with the same BC that a 140 ELDM has. So now we're talking about performance that's super hot, long barrel Creedmoor loads, 260 Ackley loads, kind of a little bit of a tame PRC. All I did was change the bullet and change the powder. But now I've got something that retains major knockdown power in a hunting rifle for several hundred yards more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is that, like, if you go back to any old Everyday Sniper podcast where I'm talking about the trade-offs of barrel lengths and bullets, the solids are where you fix that in the best possible way. Unfortunately, like we had said, that that means in, in a lot of cases you're, you you have to build the barrel around the bullet and, and not just take the bullet, you know, to that rifle. We're like a Tika, like a 20-inch. Guys, they have the 20-inch Tika TAC A1s in 6.5 Creed. That thing's going to be terrible because it's a slow barrel in a Tika. It's all this. Your 140s are going to be terrible a lot of that. If you if you, right. if you you created a load with a 122, one of your 122s, and you brought that speed back up, even if you were in the 2950 zone to 20, you yeah. know, you're going to be that much. You're never going to get anything 2,900 feet per second out of a 20-inch Tika like you can with a 122 solid. Right. Yep. And, it, and a, a great way to look at that, a really simple way, is something that you and I had talked about a couple months ago. Um, and you actually posted the paper for me on Sniper's Hut, Trajectory Normalizing Factor. Right. Real simple, easy-to-use method. BC times velocity. I've got these two things, BC and velocity on this, BC and velocity on that. Which one's higher? That's the more the higher performing load. You know, we don't need a calculator. You don't need a ballistic calculator. You don't need a special app. You don't need a computer and Excel spreadsheet for it. You need like a four-function calculator on a cell phone. You can stand in Bass Pro and look at the reloading rack and go, okay, well, even if I believe the ballistics on the back of the box, this one's going to work better for me trajectory-wise. It's not a guarantee which one's going to shoot better in your rifle, but you can look at it and go, uh, yeah, okay, this one's going to have a better wind call. I'm going to shoot this. Yeah. We'll try this one first. I mean, and that's and that's the simplicity of it. Do put, go that over again. I did post it. It is on Sniper's Hide. You can look at it. We got the good search engine going on over there. But, Josh, just kind of repeat that trajectory, uh, trajectory normalizing factor one more time. Take uh, load A and load B, take your muzzle velocity and your ballistic coefficient of A, your muzzle velocity and your ballistic coefficient of, of B. Muzzle velocity times BC is going to give you a value. Now, we're ignoring units and dimensional analysis and all this stuff. I know there's engineers and mathematicians out there that are probably ready to, you know, to Freak slip out. my wrist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it doesn't, it, it's kind of an empirical approach. And it tells you which one's higher than the other. The one that's higher is going to have the better wind call. In some cases, they have a better wind and elevation call, but 
I don't typically worry about elevation. I have a good laser rangefinder. I have a good ballistic calculator on my phone and my Kestrel and my backup phone that, you know, I usually let my kids watch YouTube on. I'm not worried about the drop. I can dial that on the scope, no problem. I'm worried about the wind. I don't get to shoot a lot. I screw wind calls up all the time. So I want the best advantage I can get on that. Right. So, and that's the way you can, that's a quick down and dirty way you can figure that information out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's not going to tell you, Hey, if I shoot this load, my wind call for a nine mile an hour wind at a thousand is going to be 1.2 that, you know, it won't do that, but it'll tell you like, Hey, that's six millimeter versus that three, you know, 30 caliber Magnum the six is not going to win in the wind compared to that 300 wind mag load or the six will win in the wind. Compared well, to that I mean, some, somebody can go there and, and basically just like your, your, your 122 BC, what'd you say is a three, a point three three zero right now on the, on the flat line was, yeah, the, the forgiving bullet, uh, it's looking like it's about right around three, three Oh five, right in that number. Okay. So if you take, I haven't gotten the acoustic out yet, it's been raining in, 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 in a one forties, like a two ninety nine. So they're almost the same. You got a three Oh five versus like a two ninety nine. Um, so you can almost yeah. say both are the same, a three point Oh, so point three zero and point three zero. So let's kind of balance the BC and say, Whatever particular 140 you have has got a .30 BC. Your 122's got a .30 BC. Now multiply it by your muzzle velocity out of that 20-inch Tika. It's 2650 times, and, and even if we're being generous, and let's go 2850. If the BCs yep. are identical, and one's 2650 because it's heavy, and the other one's 2850 because it's light, well, the 2850 yeah. is going to win every time. Speed right. wins. And this is where I was yep. going back to the sort of the old podcast. If you go back and re-listen to them where I'm talking about, hey, guys, you're all running saying, you know, I need a 140, 143 grain bullet in your 6.5. Well, you should look at the 123s in, in, in this, you know, the Lapua's, like I was saying, is about one of the higher BCs in the 123 of a jacketed bullet. But now, if yep. you if you can do a solid that's giving you every bit the BC of a 140, but the speed 200 feet per second faster, yeah. dude, that's a it's a no brainer, right? That's a lights out scenario. So, yep. and that's actually why um, in 2017, midway through 2017, I was coming up on the end of the life of my first Asher barrel for that season. And I was sick of fire forming brass, losing the shit at a range, crawling around on my hands and knees and doing the dasher shuffle. And I'm like, I just don't have time for this stuff, right? I'm going to shoot 6BR to train and I'll shoot the local club matches with 6BR. You know, it'll be fine. And I started out with 105 hybrids. I had a fast barrel. It was a Hawk Hill. Shot lights out. This is great. But I felt like I was behind in the wind for the first couple of matches because I was used to holding one thing and not another, and I kept missing, and I'm just dropping them off the downwind edge of the plate. All these matches are 600 max, 700 max. We might have a 740-yard shot, you know, one, right? So I sat down. I got a really, really, really good deal on 95 tip match kicks. I'm like, eh, I'll use them to fire for 
And then I took them out and I started shooting them in the BR and I'm looking at them and I'm like, these things are going 3150. So now all of a sudden I got a decent BC, not as good as a 105 hybrid, but you know, 95% of the BC of what the hybrid had. But instead of going 2870 on a hot load, I'm doing 3145. So I'm, you know, the better part of 300 feet per second faster. And what's it given me? Substantially lower wind calls, the crossover. I figured out the crossover point. Crossover point was like 760 yards to where a 10 mile an hour wind on the hybrids was the same as the 95s. And anything past that, the 95s were, were losing ground. Beautiful. I could shoot 95s. I could shoot the cheap bullets. I could shoot them out of a BR and it's a laser beam. Now, when we start doing holdover stages, instead of sitting there and having to dial a total of, you know, two and a half mils between 200 and 600 yards, I'm holding more like 1.7. And at 600 yards, the target's 1.5 mils high. So aim at the throat of the Ipsic and I don't even touch my dials. Yeah, yeah. And these are sort of those tips and tricks, like I say, that people are kind of looking to gain that edge and how you can game the edge with the bullet. And this was like, there's a lot of episodes of, of the early podcasts. If you go below 100, um, there's a lot of episodes where I talked about that balancing and trading off velocity and weight and that speed is going to win overall and why, like I reload and I, I push to a certain speed. If I can't get that speed, well, then I'm going to drop down a class. You know what I mean? Because I want to be at a certain point. And so because right. I, sh I tend to shoot shorter barrels, 22 and below, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where because I'm shooting a shorter barrel, I go down a class or two, and this is how I make that back up through the bullet technology. Yep, absolutely. And, and now you're not just, like with these solids, you're not just making it up. You're actually gaining. You're ahead of the game, right? Right. So um, I put the, the new 122s, and I, I actually sent Jim a picture, um, and I was like, dude, we got to talk. And I sent him a picture, he's like, well, what the hell is that? What six millimeter you're shooting? I'm like, that's a six five Creedmoor. That's you know reloaded Peterson brass, thirty one hundred plus with a hundred and twenty two grain bullet, and the BC's hundred and forty class. So now we're talking about six five PRC performance from a Creedmoor. Yeah, you're just in a lighter bullet. Who cares? It's a solid. It's gonna yeah. wreck shit's day. Yep. You know. Yeah. So. It, you know, it recoils lower, powder burns lower, barrel life is better, cost of the ammo is lower because you can get Creedmoor brass anywhere. I'm pretty sure Tyrone Biggums has got the stuff on the corner. He's trading it for cheeseburgers. Yeah, yeah, point. yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I, 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 saw, I saw a homeless guy with a sign. He's going through my garbage picking up brass and shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frank, Frank's old yeah. brass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yep. but no, so with that, and, and and that's a good place to end on the bullet stuff because I want to jump into the barrel side of things because you mentioned Paradigm. I, I've shot their their uh, carbon fiber through, you you spun it up, um, in, yep. in, in some of the stuff going on with, this is, and, and guys may or may not have noticed, if they've seen my AX, it's actually running that carbon fiber barrel and, and I know I have photographs, like there's photographs running around right now that I've put up. It's on there. 
you, it doesn't look like the other carbon fiber barrels. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have sort of that hollowish feeling that you get, which is like, wow. You know, when you pick up a carbon fiber proof or something, it's always like, woo, it's so light. It's wow. This one's a little yeah. bit different in design. So you know a lot about them. Why don't you go into some background on that barrel? Because that barrel came to me through you. So you, you're yeah, probably so the best person to talk about it. It's a paradigm. Um, the, the companies, they're friends of mine. And these guys made this ridiculous hollow carbon fiber stock. Like it's a McMillan A5 shape on the outside, but I've watched a 275 pound dude put it up on floor jacks and jump on the wrist of the stock where the, where the grip is. And the stock's sitting there like, and, you know, like the thing is ridiculously strong. So, and it weighs nothing. It's fully adjustable, all these things under two pounds i'm like this is this is great right so so i got this stuff and then this summer kyle calls me up and he goes hey uh if i send you a drawing could you contour me a couple of barrels yeah i don't care fine no problem we con we contour things in our sleep and then i shot my mouth off and i saw the drawing and i was like oh i should have charged him more for this job right so we contoured him a couple of barrels. I sent him off to him, and a couple of weeks later, he sends me one back. He goes, here, um, would you chamber this up, you know, 6.5 Creed or whatever your favorite 6.5 is? Go out and shoot it. Tell me what you think. So, you know, I've been the guy who was never a huge fan of carbon fiber. There are always problems with it. Every company that's tried it, they make these big claims, and, and I'm like, oh, here we go again, right? And I'm just kind of rolling my eyes. I'm like, all right, well, you know what? I'll give it a hundred rounds. The very first thing I did with it, I broke it in with five rounds, kind of got a zero on it. And then I proceeded to do what I figured was going to destroy this thing. It was going to go to hell in a handbasket, which was, I got a zero for five rounds. I put 40 rounds through it. I shot barricades. I shot rooftop simulators, basically got the thing as hot as I possibly could. And then I had a buddy stand there with a shooting mat and just put a breeze across the gun, and I shot a group at 600 yards. I'm like, this isn't, I'll be lucky if I hit this eight inch plate once, let alone five times. I shot a group that was three and a half inches with old Ruag Prime, um, you know, ammo that had been sitting on my shelf for two and a half years. And it was three and a half inches at 640 yards. Nice. So all of a sudden, they had my attention. I was blown away, right? This thing should not have done that. I've seen regular match barrels, you know, full-on MTU contour steel barrels that wouldn't do that. And they're still good barrels. So they got my attention. Um, we started doing some more contouring for them, and they're selling these barrels. And I've yet to see something that is as thermally stable as them. They're using Rock Creek's blanks. And, you know, so they got a really good core in the thing. Um, but their wrap looks different. And that's the thing that a lot of people notice. Like, man, it's, I've never seen something like that before. They're not a filament wound barrel. Um, I guess they got a couple of patent applications in on what they're actually doing with it. But, you know, in terms of performance, like you said, you don't look at it as a carbon wrapped it, barrel. It you doesn't look at act it as, like oh, it. The barrel on my match gun. Yeah, it doesn't act like yeah. a carbon fiber barrel to me. And, and, and I want to bring up a really important point that you just mentioned to people to understand this. When pe there, there are good and bad barrels out there, don't get me wrong, and, and the carbon fibers had its hit and miss 
you know, through the years. But what you were saying about getting the breeze when you heat them up like that and getting that mirage away from the scope, that's where people think they walk. And because it's a yeah. giant it's a giant heat sink, depending on the rifle you have it in, like if I put it in a chassis rifle where there's a handguard, you don't see it as much because the handguard covers it. But if you right. have it in an open stock and now your heat sink is heat sinking, well, you're putting yep. so much mirage in front of the scope where people believe the barrel is now walking. It's just you right. got it hot enough and you didn't pay attention to that thermodynamic property of it where it's going to bleed off that heat the entire barrel. It's not radiating as quickly at the chamber, which is not in front of your objective bell, right? right. It's yep. it's now radiating the entire length of your barrel. Think about an F-class gun, guys. You take an F-class guy out there with his open-top, flat-bottom stock, and they have a mirage band on their steel barrels, because they're shooting 55 power scopes and those will pick up the mirage to nobody's business. Now we take a 25 yeah. to 35 power scope, you put a proof barrel under it and it's going to walk because you got heat going in front of your scope, dude. You got to block it and put a mirage right. band on it. And and that's an important yeah. factor. And in many cases it's not the barrel walking. It's the the image is shifting yeah. because your your point of impact, your point of aim relationship is changing because of the heat. And you know, like I tell customers this, and like get a breeze. Uh, man, I don't shoot as good in the wind. I'm like, but your water lines go to nothing, and you you start to see the wind meter in your group. Do you ever shoot your suppressor without the mirage cover on it? No. Well, it's called a mirage cover for a reason. It puts a whole ton of heat out there. And, you know, just like you said, the F-Class guys, they're, they're shooting these really high power scopes and they're looking through Mirage and they, so they put a band on it. Right. You hang a suppressor off the front of that thing. And now not only do you have, like, think about what a barrel on a match gun weighs, right? Say it's seven pounds. My Thunder Beast, the heaviest Thunder Beast I own is a 338 Ultra. I don't think that thing weighs two pounds. Yeah, it's, it's like it's 18 ounces. It's 18 ounces or something. Okay, yeah. So it's it's less than a pound and a half. So it's just barely a pound. And that thing takes all the muzzle blast, and it gets hot as shit really fast. So we put a mirage cover on it. We don't put a mirage cover over our barrel, and then we blame the barrel for walking when we get it warm. It's not the barrel that's necessarily walking. It's our perception of where the target actually is. Yeah, I, I nuked a proof like this to show it and to do that kind of stuff. And when I measured it consistently across the length of the carbon fiber, it was about 172 degrees. The steel at the chamber was like 165, but the carbon fiber yeah. was like 172. But my suppressor, because I had a suppressor on the gun, uh, was close yep. to like 325, 350, if I remember correctly. So I had 172 degrees on the on the carbon fiber of the barrel, and I had 350 on the suppressor. But those two still are working together, and there's mirage there. So this carbon fiber yep. that that these guys are doing, like I said, doesn't act in my mind like it's lighter. I, I don't know what the weight gains are. Uh, you might know the numbers better than I do. 
It is still they're, a carbon fiber. Arguably the same weight for the contour that I mailed you. It's like it, you're trading single digit ounces, you know, depending on the length you're shooting. Okay. And, and, and like I said, I, I'm having really good results with it. I thought I was actually going to rip it off. Like now I'm like, okay, I talked to, I've been using it and using it and using it. And I haven't even taken it off because it's working out so well for me. I'm like, ah, I'm just going to run it, man. It's, it's working good. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of weird that that's at, um, w- with that. But, uh, yeah, this, so, uh, these guys are creating a barrel tech and they got that going on. You're doing some prefits with those. We are. Yep. Yeah. We do a lot of prefits, um, you know, and, and like we talked about a few years ago or a few minutes ago, I sort of tripped and fell backwards into a business that took up an awful lot of my time. And I was working out of a garage that was 285 square feet on top of having, you know, kids bikes and the normal clutter that comes from being a household garage. So I didn't have space. I really didn't want other people's guns sitting around. Um, and I started, you know, get the receiver once, measure it, keep a log of it. Hey, you need another barrel? No problem. Remind me what your serial number is and I'll make you a barrel. So, you know, before me having CNC equipment, that was a more arduous process. Now, the way the programs are run, yeah, I changed some variables. I looked the stuff up and we take measurements and, and it's good to go. But that, you know, advertising, talking about doing that in 2013, you know, to friends, guys accepted it. 2014, I started telling people on Sniper's Hide, and I took a bunch of flack for it. By 2016, we're offering Savages, Remages, Ruger Americans, Ruger Precisions, Tikas, um, you know, in a barrel nut system. I think we were the first ones to do prefits for the barrel nut system, and now we're doing shouldered Tikas because I've gotten enough data on them. I know where we have to sit on it, um, you know, and the tolerancing. It, by 2016, people, you know, the customer base is starts to say, hey, this is pretty good. My gun shoots really well. And now the flack I was getting was from other gunsmiths. Now everybody's making prefits. So, you know, we just keep putting the repertoire. It just keeps getting deeper with what we can offer. And I think for customers... You know, like, this is a great time to be in precision rifles. Like, you and your MasterCard can buy all the parts you need from places like Mile High and Altus, and you can get an action from, you know, from either of those guys, Northland Shooters. You can get barrels from me. You can get barrels from a few other folks. I mean, we have, like, 60 barrels and various 6s and 6.5s on the shelf for common stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and I always said you know, barreled like, actions were the way to go for you guys, gunsmithing-wise. And, and if you want to be a volume gunsmith, just do the barreled actions like you're saying because a guy can take a decent high-end receiver, a pre-fit, put it together, throw a trigger on it, and drop it in a chassis. Right. Yep. Yeah, so you could, you could call me up on Monday. I could pull one of the barrels that's off the shelf finished for an impact. You got your impact from, say, you know, Mile High or Altus. So, you know, yeah, you're doing some shopping, a couple of the different websites, but by the time you order the chassis and the trigger and the parts, you could put it together with less than $250 worth of specialty tools, most of that being the barrel vise and the action wrench. And you could put together a gun in your garage in half an hour that'll shoot Jim's six Creedmoor ammo into, a, you know, two-thirds of a minute at 1,000 yards. Yeah. Like, this isn't 2005 anymore. 
you know? No, no. It, it, we're in a golden age of precision rifle right now. And, and it really, it's not only because the engineering class of, like, you guys coming up, but it's the CNC machines that are allowing you to do the same thing over and over again. It's the computers that are keeping the tolerances for that serial numbered action. I mean, uh, Kadex does the same thing when I was up there. Kadex basically has your serial number and says, hey, we can do all this. And they talked about that with me two years ago, you know, as an yep. a, a value added thing they're doing. You're doing it on a small scale. So you got a company and, and Kadex for guys like I've been to their shop and everything up there. It's gigantic. Okay, you could basically land the space shuttle inside their building. I think there's, you know, 12 CNC machines, if not more. There's two barrel machines, yeah. all this stuff. And then you got Josh. So what a company that can land a space shuttle and then a single guy gunsmith here with Josh is doing the same quality electronics of work through a good CNC, a computer database, and then the components in understanding that engineering background because you have a, you have a good background for sure and then putting it together. You know what I mean? So this is why we're seeing yeah. such great products out there. Yep. Yeah, and we, you know, we're we're more than just me now. I have Joe full-time and I have two part-time guys. Um, but I'm pretty selective about who I bring in. Joe's really good on front end. Um, he does laser work. He handles customers, packages and ships and spins barrels and He's, a, he's our last line of QC before it goes out the door. Um, but the two other machinists I have that work part-time, they're gun guys. They like what they're doing, um, but they're just part-time. They actually work in the medical industry, and they make bone screws and skull plates and stuff like that all day long. They come over here, and we joke that they go slumming because our tolerances are like half a thou, a thou, you know, and – one of them, he's a tool maker for a, a large pharmaceutical manufacturer for, for um, bone screws. He, he's like, yeah, the print today, the loosest tolerance I had on the print today was three microns. Yeah. Which is um, a little more than a tenth of a thousand. Well, and you had the bighorn background. When you look at AJ, AJ was doing the aerospace stuff here. You know, he was in the yep. micron. So the bighorn arms before they went to Zermatt and all that. They were coming out of something where his his tolerances were were in the microns, and and so you yep. you, you have an aerospace background, and in 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 that area that you're at is just so heavily aerospaced to begin with. Um, you yep. know, you're just you're you're kind of part of the country has a, a really robust aerospace, and so you know medical and aerospace machinists coming into our industry is sort of what's making it that much better now. Yeah, and we're seeing, you know, really major leaps and bounds every year. You know, there's more guys competing making prefits. There's more guys competing making really top-shelf actions. Um, you know, the the uh, just the, the equipment level that's in what's well, basically a, like a little gunsmith shop. You know, we have, we have two and a half people full t in terms of number of heads. We have two and a half people here. Um, we got four spindles. One of them makes bullets all the time, but the other three make barrels and brakes and, you know, the parts that we need. And we, and, you know, like we're not that small of a, a shop anymore. We do actually do some contract work, but I'm making um, about 2,000 barrels a year. And, um, you know, we do get some returns. Once in a while we get one back, either that we messed up or the, 
you know, the blank's not good, that happens. Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you what, when you make that many barrels a year, my relationship with Rock Creek is such that, you know, like, I can usually diagnose what's wrong with a gun based on a couple of photos and some conversations with the guy. Sometimes we get people that, you know, they don't really want to listen to me going, Sorry, check the trigger here, check the bolt handle here, check this on the scope rail, bam, 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 boom. There's, you know, there's 25 things we're going to go through. And if it's no good, well then, yeah, we'll take the barrel back. We'll fix it, whatever. But, um, you know, like out of all the times I'm probably accused of making a bad barrel every week. Last year we had seven that were truly bad. Yeah. So out of 2000, my, you know, my, my failure rate was like less than one percent like three-tenths of a percent well, and honest, was actually bad have you ever been to like a machine shop or something like that where there isn't the parts thrown in a bin that something's not i mean i've been to bartland and yeah. there's bad barrel blanks and stuff and things in a like this is a shitty barrel bin you know there's a shitty barrel yeah. bin and you know you go to uh i've been to thunder beast and there's a shitty titanium bin you know what i mean and there's a there's a thing and yep. it's like see all that right there that steel's going back. Right. In, yep. in, 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 yeah, we have the same thing. We have the, oops, that brake slipped in the fixture. That's fucked up. We had a blem sale this year. We had like 80 brakes that were, I screwed up. I comped the tool the wrong direction, and I had to run. My kid was sick. We ran 80 brakes for two days. We didn't catch it. So what do we do? Well, I didn't really want to throw them out, but I certainly couldn't just give them, you know, like I couldn't sell them as normal. We told everybody, Hey, these are cosmetic blems. You want them? They're, they're like 89 bucks instead of 150. Yeah. You know, you know, guys knew what they wanted and if they didn't want a blem, they didn't buy a blem. No big deal. You know, I talked to Russ at, at rock Creek and he's like, yeah, we have the stuff that doesn't make it out of our door. That's what I put on my gun all the time is what he tells me, you know, and they, you know, a lot of times they shoot, you know, but they're not willing to send it out to the customer. They're not willing to send it to me because they know that if I get it and I look at it or it goes through our QC process, then I'm going to add all the time and value to turn it into a finished rifle barrel. And when it comes back and I look at it and I'm like, Hey Russ, you know, we got one of these. It's, mm. yeah, he it's, doesn't want to have to go go. Right. So, you know, the customer paid for first-rate stuff. That's what they're going to get. And, you know, like every business has this kind of thing. Right, right. Once in a while, something flips through. It doesn't. The guys take good care of it. Well, and that's exactly it. How you handle it, how you move on to the next day, that's the important part. And that's where the longevity comes in as well, is if you're consistently doing good work and then you have one or two, you know, fuck-ups, and then you you, you stand behind it, well, then – those get minimized and minimized and minimized because people go, well, gee, he'll just tell them, don't play games with them and, and, and let them right. look at it. And, and it's the guys who try to play games and try to get cute with it. It's like, no, let us do our yep. thing. I get the same thing. I get cute every day with certain things, you know, and, and yep. it's like we we already know what you're trying to do, dude. I've seen it a thousand times what your what your what your end game is. You're not special. Yeah. You know, and yeah. let's just cut to the chase. And so, I, yeah, it, like I, <laughs> go ahead. And and when you when you get those guys, it's like if a dude comes to me, and a lot of people like this, you might be, you're probably the same way. Guy comes to me and goes, "Hey, man, I screwed up, and I'm just wondering if there's some way to fix this, or can you help me out here?" Sure, no problem, right? But 
when the guy comes to me and he goes, you screwed this up, this was bad, the gun was shooting fine, and blah, blah, wait a second, hang on. And when you come down to it and it's like, well, I got the cleaning rod stuck and I hammered it out and that gouged the rifling, okay, if you'd been honest with me, I'd be a whole lot more cooperative. You know, I had one last week. We got a picture. Hey, there's this anomaly on my break, and um, it, I'm pretty sure it was there when it arrived. Joe goes, oh, yeah, that looks weird. No problem. Here's a call tag, right? We get it back. The dude skipped a bullet down the inside of the break because it was loose. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? So when we called him on it, then he was upset with us, and he felt that we should replace it. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, if you called me and said, hey, I've I screwed the pooch and my brake was loose and I skipped a bullet down the inside of it. Do you think you could fix it? It's probably going to be more work for me to fix it than to give them a new brake at a discount. Right. But so. I mean, what are you going to, uh, that's the thing is in, uh, g- g- you know, I've been, I've gotten reports and it even happened when you were up at doing the Q Creek. I know when you shot that, some of the, some of the self-timing brakes, if people don't really wrench them on, loosen up. And, yep. and, and they cause, it happens. You know, yeah, it happens. You know, be, yep. be straight, be square. Yep. Yeah, and that's, you know, like, well, we've got some pretty high-performance things, right? I've got a rifle in a Pelican case. I, I go to, to Philly. I get on a plane. I fly to Denver. I drive four and a half hours north to Cute Creek. I take it out. The rifles travel approximately 1,800 miles. I lay down on the range. Bam, 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 three shots, still zeroed. Now, if the muzzle brake works loose the second day of the match, that's not anybody's fault except mine. That's not the scope's fault. It's not the ammo's fault. It's not the airline's fault. You, you know, I mean, it, it goes back to what we used to do when we were racing. You nut and bolt the car every time it comes off the track, even if, hey, man, we were only out for three laps, and I'm sure that suspension nut is tight. Too bad. Put the wrenches on it. Check it again. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Now, so. So, hey, we're in a good spot right here. Let's kind of wrap up and anything that you want. I don't want to keep you much past the hour. I know you got your kids and you've been up working and late all day. Um, It's later where you are than here. Yeah. Um, So give everybody a quick little Patriot Valley, uh, Valley backup, what you got happening or if there's anything we missed. We can always do this again. It's not a big deal. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's fun talking to you, you know, um, and if you want to do more stuff on, on bullets or uh, ballistics down the road, just let me know. You have my phone number. But um, so PVAs uh, are, you know, like our lead times are down. We've got uh, most barrels in stock. We're doing stuff with the paradigms. We've got uh, the brakes and the other parts that we make in-house. We're doing the solids now. Um, and those are more and more options are coming up on the website every week. Um, I've got a ton of stuff that's tested and BCs are measured. I just haven't put it on the website yet because I haven't had time. So, um, you know, if somebody's looking for, you know, 30s or 338s or big bullets or, you know, whatever, like rather than thinking the website is the end-all be-all of what we got, shoot Joe a message. If he doesn't know the answer, I will kind of thing. But, we'll, you know, like we'll take care of that kind of stuff. You're going to see a lot more of the solids come up on the the website, um, you know, the the sore thorn in our uh, side has been the Hancocks for a couple of years. We're almost done going through those. 
we're just waiting on some magnum bolt heads now and some left-handed actions, but we're, we're virtually done with them. Um, you know, which is pretty cool because I think that project, once we get ahead of the pre-orders and the mess that we had for, you know, quite a while now, the value of the gun that, you know, the intrinsic value of a $2,000 turnkey half minute rifle is still, it's still there. Yeah. And, so, and, and it's still, are you still running them off the nucleus? Uh, yeah, we offer now. Yep. Um, you know, so we're probably going to talk to what we're planning on doing is sending out a survey to the hundred and so, hundred or so folks that have had them for somewhere around a year. Um, and the folks that are getting them and saying, Hey, like, is this still what you like, you know, or is the three lug not quite there? Do you not like this? Do you, you know, what do you like about it? Because we have the option to, you know, to propose to American rifle company or to another action maker and say, Hey, like, we would like to see these changes. This is what the customer feedback is. So, um, you know, before we go order, you know, another hundred actions and then like we're stuck with them, we're going to query the customers and see if what we're providing in terms of, you know, rifle performance is what they really wanted. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think it was a smart idea. It was a great thing. I mean, you got flooded with it and, and that's crazy that, you know, the pre-orders went through the roof the way they did. Part of that was the was Ted's stuff, the American Rifle Company stuff, and then you putting it together, and 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 then you know the supply chain just couldn't quite handle it. And <laughs> yeah, you know, and we it's not all Ted. You know, there's some responsibility. There's a lot of responsibility on our side too. You know, like uh, two years ago, uh, well, let's say 26 months ago, I was one guy in a garage with two machines, and we had this grand idea, and Jeremy came on board. We found a space. We had to move the shop. We got another machine in. Eight months later, we put a third machine in. We're trying to do all this stuff, and Ted's going through growing pains. We had huge growing pains. We had supply issues. Like it was a, it was a very aggressive project to take on. Um, it would have been an aggressive project to take on if we had five people here. Right. But doing it with, you know, with do with two was too much. But. Um, you know what they say about drinking from a fire hose, you're still going to get a drink of water, right? Like you're, I learned a whole lot. Um, and as we've brought out other stuff and we've brought in capacity for making our breaks in house more and more and more of the barrels, the barrels come in and unturn on a pallet. We take truck axles and we turn them into toothpicks every day. Um, you know, and they shoot lights out. So we've gotten a lot better and a lot more vertically integrated as a company um, the Hancock was a disaster, but the quality of the rifle was, was very good. And that's why I want to talk to the people who've had them and have rounds down them. And we're starting to get guys who they were on the early, you know, like the, the first couple of months we're getting, Hey, I need a new barrel. What's my lead time? Well, we have some of them on the shelf. So that, you know, that's a good thing, but guys have now worn. Oh, you cut you there. He cut. <laughs> oh, and it dropped this call. Hang on. Well, we were ending anyway. I'm going to end it, and then I'll get back with him. It actually just dropped this call, if you guys heard. But we were in an ending point anyway. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I'm sure I'm going to catch him back on in a second here. Well, that was so weird. that it. Oh, my! I think my bars went down. It might have been me. But anyway, um, thank you guys for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Here he is. He's calling back up. <laughs> you there, Josh? 
Yeah, I'm here. I was just closing out. Yeah, just dropped the call, man. I was ending it up anyway. I was saying bye to everybody because we, we were at a finishing point to begin with. So you could finish your final okay. thought. Okay. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I guess, you know, we're still here. We're still making stuff and we're doing new things every day. So, and, and I'll tell you the stuff I'm getting, questions, reach out to us. The, the stuff I've gotten from Josh has been lights out. Everything's worked out really well. In fact, I know you do the rematch. I'm about due to do that little shorty six, five. I have that Creedmoor. That was the, like the WTF world record one. That's a, Oh yeah. 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 Uh-huh. That's a re- Remington rematch barrel. That's about nuked. It needs a new one pretty soon, so I'll be sending it your way and, and, and get yep. it replaced because it's just a Remington rematch on there. Um, cool, man. Thank you for being on. Stay on the line really quick, and I'll end it with you, but I'm going to hit the, the out music and let the out music go for everybody, and then um, I'll end okay. this, and you just you and I stay on the line for a second. Thank you guys for All listening. Right, cool. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for Josh for coming on and making it so I don't have to talk to myself, and you guys get to hear other people. <laughs> um, it, it, that makes it awesome. But uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, Dad, just stay on real quick. We'll let the music finish. 